podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing pretty good. Finally getting settled into the new apartment uh, now that we've gotten some stability with the electrical situation. So making good progress unpacking things and putting boxes away. Ah, uh, very good. Very good. That's always that's always good to hear. Mm-hmm. Always good to hear that your electricity isn't going to just suddenly randomly cut out and all that good stuff. It's very nice, it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Being able to consistently be able to do things like go on the internet or turn on the lights, uh, Mm -hmm. pretty essential in our modern world, as it turns out. My day has been going good as well. So for those of you at home, I basically have started like this big like budgeting thing that I've done where I'm like really limiting how much money I can spend on groceries and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's done this really nice thing where I'm eating a lot healthier now Mm. and also drinking a lot less alcohol, which Mm. is really great. That is good. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I was in the store, and I was ahead on my budget, and I did find that they were selling a giant bottle of mold wine, and I went, yes. Yeah, it's that time. It is that time, and it's very cold outside, because mm-hmm. I walked to the store in the middle of the night to get bread. Ah. And I was cold, and I went, <laughs> this would be nice to have. It will warm me up. Yes. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, my alcohol... Alcohol tolerance has dropped, and also I forgot that a mug of mulled wine is more than a glass of mulled wine, and also heated drinks go through you pretty quickly. So it was yeah. like had one of those, felt great for about an hour, did not feel great after an hour. <laughs> Plan to have some more tonight. We'll probably probably take it a lot easier. It's a good plan. That's a good idea. It would be, yes. I, I think I agree with that. I was very tempted to pour one for uh, today's topic, Alex, because mm-hmm. honestly, I think uh, today's topic is going to require a a drink for me by the end of it, because it's a story that honestly makes me a little bit upset. Oh, boy. Yeah. So we are back to doing um, video game plot lines. And of course, today we're going to be doing a development episode before mm-hmm. we jump into the plot lines of uh, of the topic that we're going to be going over. It's going to be a three-parter is what I'm planning on, okay. which means expect, like, I don't know, ten parts, because it yeah, usually it, scope creep happens. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But I might as well just kind of jump into this, Alex, by uh, also mentioning that this is one of the topics that uh, I was going to do an episode on earlier, but then because of, like, events happen in the news. Mm-hmm. And once I start explaining the news, I think you're going to immediately know what the topic is. Okay. So on August 31st, 2023... One of, if not my favorite Let's Player of all time, uh, Chip Cheesum, posted on the social media platform X. I I should just still continue to call it Twitter, honestly. Every, everyone is just still calling it Twitter. No one, no one's on board with X. Yeah, I agree. Never mind. Chip Cheesum posted on Twitter. Hey, folks, I can't talk about it yet, but uh, supporting me on the Chip and Ironicus Patreon would be very helpful for me right now. So uh, Chip was the lead editor at Volition. Uh, and it didn't take long for people to put two and two together that mm-hmm. he had gotten laid off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, this obviously sucks, and it's not uncommon in the gaming industry. In fact, he had actually been laid off from Volition, I think, like four years previously and got mm-hmm. rehired. 
Uh, but unfortunately, what followed moments later also sucked and was also not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Nearly every other employee at Volition who, with a Twitter account started to announce they had been laid off. Rumors immediately swirled that Volition may be on the verge of shutting down, something which was confirmed by Volition roughly an hour after Chip's tweet. Quote, The Volition team has proudly created world-class entertainment for fans around the globe for 30 years. We've been driven for a pas- by a passion for our community and always worked to deliver joy, surprise, and delight. This past June, Embracer Group announced a restructuring program to strengthen Embracer, the editors know that's just a very dystopian sounding sentence. Yeah, I don't oh like boy, that. it sure is. That doesn't sound good coming out of my there, mouth. There's been a number of those in the past like two months that I'm like, boy, y'all are really just either drinking the Kool-Aid or trying to make us drink the Kool-Aid. I don't know which, but. Yeah, right. And it doesn't help that it's the the person, the group involved is called Embracer. Uh-huh. It's just, uh. Yeah. Continuing with the quote. Uh, and it maintained its position as a leader in the video game industry. As part of that program, they evaluated strategic and operational goals and made the difficult decision to close Volition effective immediately. To help out our team, we are looking, working to provide job assistance and help smooth the transition for our Volition family members. We thank our customers and fans around the world for all the love and support over the years. You will always be in our hearts, end quote. It should be noted that the studio closure was on the 31st of August, which meant that their parent company, the Embracer Group, didn't have to legally provide employee benefits through the following month, such as medical insurance. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, which uh, kind of hurts that whole help smooth the transition yeah. for the family members part. Yeah, but uh, they said it, so they must mean it. They said it, but so they must mean it. Exactly. Alex, I'm not going to sit here and say that Volition was my favorite video game company of all time, Mm -hmm. but I am going to say they've always been one I've rooted for. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because while a lot of their games have been heavily inspired by other games, such as Half-Life or Grand Theft Auto, they did legit give them interesting spins. And Mm -hmm. honestly, this goes back to one of their very first games I've ever played of theirs, uh, Red Faction. Remember Mm. Red Faction? I sure do. I, I played Red Faction, and I was like, this is pretty neat. It is pretty, pretty neat. Uh, I honestly love Red Faction. Mm. First off, the game was supposed to be a descent game, which is insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's right? a throwback. Yep, indeed. And I, that got changed mid-development into a mm. story-driven first-person shooter a la Half-Life, because uh-huh. that was the big thing at the time. Right. Uh, except the story has some vaguely, and boy do I mean vaguely, Marxist-inspired elements to it. Mm-hmm. Now, my favorite thing about it, though, Alex, was Geomod. Mm. A.K.A., what if we made the environment mostly destructible so you could do things like create cover for yourself by blowing a hole in the ground, or take out a tank by blowing up a bridge, or getting around an enemy emplacement by blowing a hole in the wall, or right. somewhat, or whatever. Like, the game itself, like, the gameplay was merely okay, right. but that one feature blew me away. It was pretty crazy, like, and it... It actually kind of lived up to its hype by how mm-hmm. thoroughly implemented it was. Yeah, right? Like, you could literally just start carving out chunks of the level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you had the PC version, uh, they had a test level called Glass House that you could just access. Mm-hmm. And it's literally what it sounds like. It's a glass house that's in a cave, and they're like, here's a bunch of rocket launchers, start digging holes. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. And it's great. Yeah, it's so, so cool. 
And honestly, that defines Volition for me more than anything else. Mm -hmm. A company that puts out games that are okay, but have one or two amazing things about them. Like Red Faction Gorilla isn't great, Mm -hmm. but giving you a sledgehammer and pointing you towards a building and saying, go nuts. Right. That absolutely is. I think no series embodies that more about Volition than a series that got them to massive heights in the first place. Saints Row. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's going to be our topic today. Okay. Alex, have you ever played Saints Row? I have played Saints Row 2 and 3. Mm, okay, you played the good Saints Rows. I did. I played the good Saints Rows. <laughs> How did you feel about them? Uh, they were a lot of fun. 2 felt very much like Grand Theft Auto with a clown nose, uh, but like, a, <laughs> yes. like a, a good clown nose that you look at it and you're like, yeah, yeah, that clown nose should be there. I like that clown nose. Um, <laughs> I... I, I feel like I got maybe halfway through the game before I did the thing I do with most sandbox games, which is give up on the plot and just run around blowing things up and getting into fights with the police for no reason. Yeah, that sounds and, about right. And uh, yeah, that was fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Saints Row is very, very good about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being very much over the top and what have you. In a way that Grand Theft Auto has honestly shied away from recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least it feels like it to me at the single player. The multiplayer's an entirely different beast. Right. But it's also monetized to all hell. So Yes, it is. So to explain what Saints Row is for the viewers at home, uh, it's an open world crime game very similar to Rockstar's much more successful Grand Theft Auto series. To the point that early on in the franchise's life, it was thought of as kind of an also-ran in a genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to games like True Crime and whatnot. I also played True Crime 1. That was a game. Oh, man. I forget which True Crime. I think it was True Crime LA was the one where like a main mechanic was you, an undercover police officer pretending to be a criminal, would like interrogate people. Mm-hmm. And you basically would play the role of both good cop and bad cop. <laughs> with good cop asking questions and bad cop just beating the guy over the head with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, uh, what a stupid series. I- what a stupid series. Man. If only we ever got a Sleeping Dogs too. Oh man, yeah, they eventually made a good one of those in Sleeping Dogs. And yeah, then they, and then yeah, they didn't make the sequel because they're like, "Well, we finally we're finally done. We're good." Yep. Yeah, this just that series. Just oh boy, that series. That is a oh, series boy. that cannot catch a break. No, it cannot. So this label is both fair and unfair. Mm-hmm. If you compare, say, 2004's Grand Theft Auto San Andreas to the first Saints Row game released in 2006. Yeah. Honestly, on their face, they don't look much different. They're both wacky games that involve you hijacking cars and shooting guns and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There is a subtle difference, however. Because even when San Andreas was getting weird with you doing things like infiltrating Area 51, getting a jetpack and whatnot, mm-hmm. it still had a story that was largely grounded. Right. And as the series goes on, it's going to choose to scale back that wackiness in a favor of more realism. Right. Saints Row is going to start somewhat grounded, mm-hmm. and then by the second game, it's just going to decide <laughs> to be as ridiculous as possible. Yep. To the point that by Saints Row 2, honestly, the design ethos might as well be what if everything? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It is literally what if Rockstar took the opposite path from San Andreas. Yeah, exactly. Like, they took the lessons of, like, actually, people like the jetpack an awful yeah. lot. Let's just get nuts with it. Yeah. Turns out when you do fun things, people have fun. It turns out... Yeah, like, 
there's a lot of like movie comparisons to Saints Row, and mm. I think probably the most apt one is that Saints Row is the Fast and Furious of video games. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think Start- yeah, that's yeah, it- apt. Starts grounded about street gangs and whatnot, and mm-hmm. then it ends with you like literally bursting out of hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> so this certainly wasn't an accident either. By the way, during development of Saints Row Two, they heard all the chatter about how their series was just a Grand Theft Auto clone and intentionally leaned into all the ridiculous aspects in order to differentiate themselves. Especially since, given that Saints Row Two was slated for the release as the same year as the very mm-hmm. grounded Grand Theft Auto Four, uh huh, like. They obviously knew they had to do something different, and honestly, it's a philosophy that's going to work for them. With each subsequent game, they're going to get crazier and crazier, which is how we're going to go from a game where you're part of a down-on-your-luck street gang and end up with you taking over hell itself. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one of the game's biggest selling points, and before long, one of its biggest anchors, dragging it down because, unsurprisingly, you can kind of only get so crazy before you run out of ways to escalate. Yeah, it turns out that there was a point where they should have stopped. There was a point. Um, And it's hilarious because they actually do get to that point and then they go, but what if we just kept going? what What if we pass it? Literally had an ending that was like the perfect coda, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's it's very sad, but spoiler, that's what you get, what happens when you get bought by other companies. Turns out. Still, before we get into the plot of all these games, we should talk about the development because this escalation and the tremors behind the scene of Volition are very telling of the overall direction Saints Row goes in and how ultimately this affects the overall story. So, Alex, we might as well start with what even Volition is. Mm-hmm. Because Volition has a crazy history to it. Hmm. So, are you familiar with like, their history? Uh, I don't think so, no. Oh, okay, you're gonna. this is going to be fun for you. Okay, I'm excited. So, Volition, first off, was founded all the way back in 1993. Okay. Yeah, by Mike Coolis and Matt Tozclog. Uh, and it was founded as Parallax Software. Huh. Now, if you don't know who Parallax Software is then you probably didn't play a lot of PC games in the early 90s. Because, you see, their very first game they started to work on was a game called Inferno. Uh, Inferno had a pretty notable and tortured development, one that involved them getting having to like, get emergency funds from both Apogee and Interplay. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, they like got, like I think it was like a $200,000 infusion from Apogee, and then Apogee was just like, man, this ain't going nowhere. You can, just, you can go find another publisher. We don't care. We're out. And Interplay's oh like, and Interplay's like, we'll put out whatever shit you got, man. We don't care. <laughs> yeah, boy, when Apogee is kicking you out for dragging your feet. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's how you know it's bad. But this game, which was a first-person shooter where you control a spaceship as it navigates subterranean tunnels, would be a very big deal when it was finally released in uh, 1995 uh, as Descent. Okay, there it is. Okay. Yeah. I did not realize they were originally the Descent people. I also did not realize that, but that now makes sense about Red Faction. It totally does, doesn't it? Yep, okay. Yep. You ever played Descent? I believe I played a demo of it on the Power Mac whenever that port came out. Mm. And I could not grok the concept, despite having played like Spaceship and Space Sims and Flight Sims before. Mm-hmm. The idea of, like, you're in a spaceship and you can move in any direction, mm-hmm. 
it was like, I think it was literally just like, you can move in any direction and then stand still. I was like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, right. I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's so weird. And also, you're just like in these like weird tunnels and whatnot. Yeah. So it's not like you're freely flying everywhere. You just have freedom of movement to an extent. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely had like no sense of where am I? Where am I going? What am I supposed to do? What is happening? Mm-hmm. It it was I so I think it was the demo of Descent Two. Yeah, and I remember yeah I remember being very confused, but also being like, man, this looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Th- this thing was mind-boggling when it came out. Yeah, because you have to remember this is 1995, and mm-hmm. this is going to be a mostly like fully 3D game in that era mm-hmm. that could actually run on like most systems. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that like you had this like alongside stuff like you know Duke Nukem 3D and whatnot was right. like oh this is crazy man wow video games are insane it turns out video games are insane and we all need to get like early PCs and deal with that mm, you know, yeah. nonsense uh-huh. well don't worry because in one year consoles are gonna go crazy indeed they are <laughs> but right now they're not not right now <laughs> yep not right now it's all on the PCs baby. Well, I guess to be fair, it is 95, so PlayStation is out by this point. It is out, but it's not going to hit its stride for another year. It is not, no. No. Not until 1996, when, coincidentally, the set comes out for the PlayStation. Uh Coincidence? Absolutely. Yes. Anyways. But but it it doesn't change the fact that 96, 7, and 8 are going to be insane years for console games. Yeah. No, it's not at all. Yeah. So Descent's a very important early PC game mm-hmm. for reasons that I think we just more or less explained. Pretty much, yeah. I, I heard it's been claimed as the first fully 3D first-person shooter, which I don't agree with. Mm, yeah. Um, for It's certified by the Guinness Book of World Records uh, because apparently they just looked at Magic Carpet and said, that doesn't count. <laughs> which I'm like, come on, Magic Carpet's cool. So, But what I am sure of, though, is that it and its sequel, Descent 2, which was released the following year, mm-hmm. were very, very, very profitable for Parallax. Mm. Now, Parallax had immediately gone from having no money to Duke Nukem 3D Realms level of money. Right. But not what all was well at the Parallax office, Alex. Mm. You see, shortly after Parallax was founded in Boston, the founders quickly realized that Boston was expensive. Mm, turns out. And so they relocated to the only place they knew, Champaign, Illinois. That's that's the only one, huh? That is the only one. <laughs> I, I think they legit because like one of the founders like had family around the ar- okay. that area, so that's the reason why. Yeah, sure. But it still is a very funny place to have a video game company. Yep. Because you see, if you know anything about Champagne, then you know that one is the headquarters of the sandwich chain Jimmy John's, and two, there is absolutely nothing in Champagne. <laughs> it is a college town of about eighty-eight thousand people, and it is two hours away from Chicago. Two hours away from Indianapolis, two hours away from St. Louis, and only one hour away from Peoria. But why are you going to Peoria? <laughs> now, my point being is that it is in this weird no-man's land in Illinois. Right. And if you're living there, you're kind of in a dead zone of nothing. Mm-hmm. There's a really funny um, uh, like history of volition uh, documentary that... That basically has them like talking about champagne and like you just see like some of the employees like try to justify their existence of being there, being like, <laughs> it's a college town, there's at least people places you go to drink, and then others being like, This is where you could really just raise a family. And it's yeah. like you can just see some of them like are totally stoked and others like feel look like they're held hostage. <laughs> 
<laughs> so my point with this is that unsurprisingly, now that Matt Toslog had money, he didn't want to be there anymore. Mm. So he and fellow co-founder Mike Koulos agreed that Matt could take some developers and go establish another office in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Now, that is uh, another place you can go. That is indeed another place you can go. Uh, that one at least is 30 minutes away from Detroit. Right. But still. <laughs> there are things there and also frequently snow and cold temperatures. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's... um. Talking with anybody from Michigan, they're like, we left Michigan as yep. soon as possible because it's either that or we would freeze to death. Uh-huh. So quickly, though, they found that coordinating developers between two different offices in the mid-90s was basically impossible. Right. And after a failed attempt to remerge the two offices, it, it was like decided like, hey, we should just split to two separate companies. Mm. Toshlock's team in Michigan became Outrage Entertainment, and Parallax itself would be renamed Volition. Hmm. So... Outrage is going to go on to develop Descent 3. The newly minted Volition decides to make a Descent spinoff called Free Space. Okay, yep. Yeah, huh. yeah, Space. Yeah. yeah. Another very influential early yep. PC game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, in case you're wondering why it's called Free Space, it's a space shooter where you freely fly in space. Yep, that's, uh, that's the game. That's the game, and it's great. Yeah, almost as important as Descent was back in the day. Now, this success is going to make them a hot company. So hot that when their publishing deal with Interplay ends in the year 2000, another company is going to swoop in and like basically buy them immediately. THQ. Oh, THQ. Oh, yes. So, uh, this is secretly going to be a mini documentary on THQ. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> various companies that will be called THQ. Yeah, funnily enough, you guessed where this goes. <laughs> So, I love THQ. Mm. So, THQ is an initialism, by the way, that stands for Toy Company. <laughs> <laughs> and they were a company that was about as lazy as the na that name sounds. Mm -hmm. So, they were a spinoff from uh, the actual toy company, LJN. Although, I think THQ did technically make some toys. Mm. They, were, they were a spinoff from LJN. Another <laughs> toy company turned video game company with questionable standards. Yep. And throughout the 90s, uh, THQ, the company, uh, profitably operated by publishing either cheaply made ports of console games to handhelds, such as Electronic Arts Sports Series like Madden and whatnot, mm -hmm. or licensed games around hot properties like Home Alone or The Wild Thornberries. Now, much as I would want to make fun of this strategy, it was incredibly successful. Oh, yeah. Uh, freaking Nickelodeon games kept that company in business decades longer than they should have been. Yeah, they really should. They really should have crumbled somewhere around, like, I don't know, 2000. Oh, yeah. Instead of buying Volition. But yet again, here we are. Yep. People bought that Home Alone 2 game and went, you know what? I think I could trust them with further purchases. <laughs> And those people were your grandparents. Mm -hmm. Now, so this strategy was successful. And while they would occasionally screw up and release good games, such as the WCW WWF wrestling games, that wasn't enough to slow them down when they eventually bought Volition. Now, this deal would be mutually beneficial to both companies. Volition's pedigree did help make THQ seem more like a company that didn't just deal with shovelware. Mm -hmm. And it gave Volition the resources to expand into the console gaming market. 
And it's also going to start a trend where Volition is going to be bought by a publisher of big ambitions, one that would soon find a way to over-leverage itself down the line and then put Volition in deep peril. Mm-hmm. So, uh, look forward to that, I guess. <laughs> so, Volition continued on. They found success with Red Faction, a game released not only for the PC, but for consoles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, Red Faction 2, a game designed more so for the PlayStation and GameCube and Xbox and whatnot rather than the PC, wasn't. Went with the idea of what if we just make a first-person shooter and just had a little bit of Geomod in there, which was wrong. Yeah, it turned out. Turned out that yeah it was, be- but we put more turret sections in there, so that's good, right? Ah, there was a lot of turret sections in that game. <laughs> uh. It was like the game's primary feature. Do you yeah. want another on-rails turret section? And it's like not really. Yeah, <laughs> I want. I want the part where I could blow a hole in the wall and then make it my new home. They're like, no, no, <laughs> you're not doing that. Everything is metal. You can't blow holes in it. So yeah, it, while this game was not a financial failure, it was like a critical failure mm-hmm. as critics slagged the game for being unoriginal and failing to follow up on the promise of the first Red Faction. So for their next original game, they decided to hold a design contest in-house. First time they've ever done this, soliciting ideas from their core staff. One of these ideas was a first-person gang simulator. Now, while this idea wasn't super popular with management Mm -hmm. it did make them realize that at the time and this is about 2003 Mm -hmm. there was really only one or two series that was doing open world games and that was grand theft auto and maybe driver depending Mm -hmm. on how you categorize what driver 2 did right seeing an untapped market volition decided what if we take this gang simulator idea make it third person and go open world with it things a bunch of stuff that we have never done before Mm mm-hmm and so Bling Bling came into being. <laughs> they, they, I'm glad they workshopped that. Oh, Bling Bling is such a terrible name, Alex. <laughs> it's so bad. And like they've done like some promo videos that you can find online with Bling Bling in it mm-hmm. when it was still this was still being developed for the PlayStation 2. Mm-hmm. And it's just as embarrassing as the name sounds. <laughs> so it's a terrible name, and everything about how this game came into being is just kind of funny to me. Mm-hmm. Because you see. Volition put together a pitch video, and they showed it off to higher-ups, including the uh, chief financial officer at GHQ. Mm-hmm. And the video was basically just a bunch of movie clips, because it's a concert trailer, I should say. Right. A bunch of movie clips uh-huh. set to the NWA song, Fuck the Police. <laughs> and this apparently went over poorly, because THQ <laughs> was like, yo, we publish, like, Nickelodeon games. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they spiffed... Like specifically cited, like, we're based in, like, Los Angeles, and there's, like, a lot of gang violence, and we just don't want to be associated with that. But, like, Volition was like, no, this is the game we really, really want to make, and we think it's going to be successful. And Mm -hmm. eventually, THQ caved. Mm. So they compromised, though, that no children could be featured in the game, and you couldn't kill the police. They are going to backtrack on that one. Uh Uh-huh. certainly. Pretty hard. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And there was also other, like, morality issues that they wanted to avoid that are unspecified, which given what happens with Saints Row 1 and 2, I'm going to guess they probably backtracked on most of those, too. Going to guess so, yeah. Yeah. So, needless to say, though, they did get them on board. Uh, But the idea was very controversial. Like, people, even on Volition's own staff, were against the project. Mm -hmm. Like, it was said that, like, half the office was pretty vehemently against even doing this game. Hmm. But the green light was given, and he decided to move forward with this. So now Volition is working on an open-world game, a type of game they've never made before, full of technical challenges that they never had to deal with, all on the PlayStation 2. 
And by PlayStation 2, I mean development was soon shifted to the Xbox 360 as an exclusive title. Wow. (laughs) What can't believe it? Yeah, right? Also, uh, when they did shift it to the Xbox 360, that's when it was still more of just an idea in Mm. Microsoft's eye, and they had no idea what the architecture was, what it was ultimately going to be capable of doing, uh, or really anything you needed in order to develop a game for it. So... It's been described as the hardest project Felician has ever done, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, the team at Felician like basically expanded like threefold overnight. They went from being thirty-five people to over one hundred. Wow! And the budget ballooned like from being like, "Here, you have like seven million dollars to work with." They just shot through that, mm-hmm. and like, like media budget overruns, and in over almost overnight, Felician became just like an entirely different company. So. We're not going to get too much into the nitty-gritty development of Bling Bling, but I do want to mention a few things. First, they're going to drop the title Bling Bling pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And that largely comes down to just how the game developed. Because you see, the game was initially pitched as a video game version of a gangster rap music video. And the right. actual tone of scope of the game was going to be like different. Mm-hmm. So like, they saw that and went, okay, well, what if we keep like the concept of gangs, crime, and violence and whatnot, but we like, what if we like kind of did more than that? And mm-hmm. what I mean by more is that the team realized that people who are like playing like competing games, such as like Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. were sometimes having trouble actually beating those games or even completing missions in them mm-hmm. because they found it was a lot more fun to just drive around and cause mayhem. Right. So seeing that, the team at Volition decided, well, let's just double down on those elements. Mm-hmm. Like, emphasize freedom and mission structure and activities and whatnot in order to achieve this. Another thing that I kind of changed the scope with this has to do with the story itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, St- Steven Jaros, one of the four writers on this game, alongside a guy named, amazingly, David Lawrence the 17th. Awesome. It is awesome. He's not actually the 17th David Lawrence, funnily enough. Hmm. Yeah, he um he's actually a Hollywood uh, personality, and there's apparently a bunch of other David Lawrence's, so he just slapped oh. 17 on the end of his sure. name. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, which I'm like, yeah, you know what, screw it, that's fun, I like yeah. it. Anyways, he talked about the changing scope of the game's story and just overall feel on a dev diary published on GameSpy in 2006. There's another throwback. Indeed. GameSpy, by the way, website is still active. Why? I think for, for archival for purposes, because uh, they're owned by IGN now. Uh, sh- sure. Yeah, so there's there's nothing new on there, but if yeah. you want to go and peruse old articles, it you don't have to use a Wayback Machine, which I really appreciated. Yeah, fair enough. So, in this uh, dev diary, he mentions that while they wanted to make a game authentic to gang culture, they didn't want to make a serious gang simulator, but rather they want to like, spice it up with like, a satirical edge. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the characters in the game would be archetypes from, like, gang movies or TV shows. Stuff like, you have the wild card or the silent enforcer, the loyal friend. But they're, like, their personalities would be turned up to 12. Mm -hmm. He described the idea behind that as being less boys in the hood and more four brothers. Mm -hmm. So, the story of Saints Row was always going to be a little bit grounded, though, in the sense that they were going to... He mentions that the story of Saints Row is going to always be a bit more grounded, However, because you weren't going to, like, fly around in jetpacks or fight dragons or whatnot, they wanted to have some sort of balance. This will be the only game where they do that. (laughs) So, in keeping with this realism, the team also decided to base the location and feel of the city in Saints Row on a place they were familiar with. The city in the game is a 
place called Stillwater. It's mm-hmm. a Midwestern city that features homages to Chicago and Champaign, Illinois, and features, and it does like have features that are make it like a very distinct city compared to stuff you see in like Grand Theft Auto or Driver or True Crime or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff that's based upon like coastal cities. So now the final thing is something that I read somewhere once while I was doing research, and I'm going to caveat this. Mm-hmm. For the life of me, I couldn't find it anymore. Hmm. So I maybe just made it up in my brain, <laughs> but it totally makes sense with where the story goes. I think I read somewhere that the series was meant to be a trilogy. Huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this is because if this is true, it makes a ton of sense given the story and general feel of Saints Rows 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Because they actually lead into each other very directly of like yes. kind of quasi cliffhangers. Um, and like they have a, a through line that actually like has like very decent references like Saints Row 2 to like Saints Row 1 in ways mm-hmm. that are very interesting. Yes. Which was interesting to run into when I only played two without playing one. Mm-hmm. But I was still like, okay, I can see that they're clearly referencing events that happened in one, and they still do a good job of like explaining it. Yeah, they do. Like, they were clear that it's like, okay, people may have not played this first game, so we got to make right. sure we onboard. And they did a good job with it. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and we'll explain more about what that is when we get to next episode. But by the time Saints Row 3 comes around, the series is going to be so popular, they're going to more or less ditch this. Mm-hmm. But my And my point is that the tone of the first two games is going to be so different from what the series is going to be from the third game on because of this. Yeah. So... Once again, I don't know if that's actually true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think that little detail I might have made up, I could swear that I read it somewhere, but couldn't for the life of me find it before we went to recording today. Getting back to Saints Row 1, when it was first released in 2006, it was a pretty successful game. While critically, it was a solid 8 out of 10 game for most outlets, Mm -hmm. it was a much bigger commercial success. By 2008, it will have sold 2 million copies and kind of position itself spiritually, if not in reality, as like Microsoft's Grand Theft Auto to Sony's, well, Grand Theft Auto. Right. Well, and to be fair, like an 8 on 10 Grand Theft Auto clone is kind of a big deal because no one else had gotten that high. No, they had not. Like Grand Theft Auto clones to that point were a pretty miserable affair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, get back to like true crime, Streets of LA or mm-hmm. Streets of New York, and just like look at those games and be like, oh, yeah, or, no, nothing's good about this. Yep. Or the time Driver went, yeah, we're totally the original other Grand Theft Auto. Here's Driver 3. Where's everyone going? Oh, yeah, boy, Driver 3 <laughs> was not good. It was bad. I rented that and played it for like two hours. I was like, this is a bad game. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw enough. Mm-hmm. Take that one back to the store. So, with this experience behind them, Felicia got started on a sequel, Saints Row 2. So, Saints Row 2, Alex, is also the first Saints Row that I played. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I played the PC version. I that, did too, yes. Oh, man. That it was a, rough. That version is a mess. Sure is. Oh, boy. I remember spending a good while trying to configure the controls on that. <laughs> I gave up and just used mouse and keyboard to the point that that's actually the only way I could play Saints Row 2. Okay. Yeah. Like, I tried to actually play Saints Row 2 on the, with, like, a controller at mm-hmm. some point later on, and it was like, this is impossible. But yeah, it the PC port was absolutely terrible. The mod support around it was absolutely wonderful. 
And I absolutely love this game to death. It's great. Saints Row 2 is great. It is great. It is not a cohesive game, but it is great. So Saints Row 2 is basically what if Saints Row, but wackier. Mm -hmm. Everything from the side activities to the main missions to the customization of your character. The customization of the options is so good. So good. Mm. Yeah, it's all turned up to 11. Given what the original Saints Row was like lauded for its customization, this makes mm-hmm. perfect sense, like why they went this this route. And also makes sense when you find out that Saints Row 2 was going to launch the same year as the hotly anticipated Grand Theft Auto 4. Mm-hmm. A game that was trying to be far more realistic and grounded than the series had previously been. Mm-hmm. Once again, as we mentioned earlier, Saints Row already had drawn unfavorable comparisons to Grand Theft Auto, and so this move into a more dis- extreme direction seems like a very conscious decision to differentiate from competition that's des- basically designed to eat its lunch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because Auto 4 was hotly anticipated. It was going to eat everyone's lunch. Yep. Yep. And it more or less did. More or less did. Whether it deserved to, issue for debate. But That is, yeah, highly debatable. <laughs> I, I will defend Grand Theft Auto 4, but not mm-hmm. here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and also not vigorously. <laughs> I've never played it. It I've seen it, and it looks fun but troubled. Yeah, that would that would describe it. It's yeah. um, they wanted to make it so realistic, like everything from how your character feels mm-hmm. to how the car drives, like has a very realistic weight to it in a mm-hmm. way that uh, a lot of people did not find fun. Mm. I I appreciate it on its merits. Mm-hmm. Fair. So moving on. So. These games were going to have a different tone from each other, and boy, was that tone different start. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you can do bowling at Grand Theft Auto 4. Well, cool. Our game gives you a septic truck and an activity where you can spray <laughs> poop on people. <laughs> oh, you can pick up hookers in GTA 4. Well, our game has a sex mini game where you're the sex worker. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, those morality clauses that, uh, THQ demanded, I'm pretty sure they were just destroyed by the time this happened. I, I feel like the first one made enough money that THQ was like, yeah, screw it, whatever. Yeah, like, oh, this good game is actually successful? Yes, no, please, here you go. SpongeBob yeah. ain't selling like it used to. We gotta no, do something. No, it is not. No. <laughs> Our Rocket Power game did not do gangbusters. Ooh, imagine that. Imagine that. So, apparently, though, there were some activities that were too crass. Mm. And... I'm going to describe some ideas for you, Alex, Okay. on their face, I'm like, why would you even consider these? <laughs> so, uh, James Sai, a lead developer on the team, told IGN that there were activities they cut, including, this one's wild, driving a truck full of smuggled underage foreign prostitutes around the city where you would deliver them to clients. Okay, that, yeah, they shouldn't do that one. They should not do that one. And another where you use a high-pressure hose to wash homeless people away. Yeah, I, I I get how they arrived at that one. That particular one isn't off-brand for their sense of humor. Yeah, it is not. Which, we're going to get into, like, the failure of humor that is the entirety of Saints Row 2. <laughs> a game yeah. that is deeply unfunny. Oh, boy, yeah. At least when they try to be funny. When you're trying yes. to be funny, it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. But uh, a game that features literally a Pirates versus Ninjas joke in it. Oh, uh, God. But yeah, it's um, th- this is in spirit with them, certainly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they cut those out. So once again, Saints Row 2 does have a lot of things about it that is very try-hard. So I found these cut ideas very unsurprising. 
Yes. So despite releasing more or less across from Grand Theft Auto 4, I think they were literally days apart, Mm -hmm. this was a successful game. Saints Row 2 is going to sell 3.4 billion copies by 2010, and its success is not going to go unnoticed by THQ. Especially because in 2009, THQ is going to post a $431 million loss in revenue. Mm, Imagine that. Imagine that. This, combined with the success of Saints Row, prompted them to make a very funny decision. Hmm. What if instead of making bad games quickly, they made good games slowly? Ooh, tell me more. Yes. Now, you might sound, that might sound like I'm being sarcastic. No, that was actually their strategy. <laughs> yeah, they, just, just make so many games that some of them will make money. Yeah, yeah, they went, okay, that's not working. We'll just make three or four and put a lot of care and effort into them. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, you unlocked the secrets wow, to good incredible. game design. You know, for all of the problems that the 360 era had, mm-hmm. it at least shored up a few issues with, like, you just throw crap onto the market, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the generation where, the, like, the movie game died, mm-hmm. right? And, like... Yes, like shovelware like that, like people finally became savvy enough and wouldn't buy that stuff anymore. Right. Like you're not going to get the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game for the PlayStation. Like because you already know that's going to be bad. Hey, do you do you remember having a moment of going, oh, man, what is Treyarch going to do now that movie games aren't really a thing anymore? <laughs> to be honest, for the long, longest time, I only thought of them as the people who did the really awesome port of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 to the Game Boy Advance. Oh, okay, fair. Huh. But yeah, yeah, you're right, they did do all those. <laughs> they did, yeah. The freaking all the Spider-Mans and Minority Report are the ones that stand out in my brain. Mm-hmm. As like, man, Spider-Man 1 and 2 were really fun. Yep. Yeah, they were. Oh, oh well. <laughs> Well, they're gonna go and do like the good Call of Duty games for a while, so at least, at least there's that. <laughs> The better Call of Duty games. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Ah, <laughs> uh, rip Treyarch. Yeah. So, now, one of these games they're going to double down on and make sure is good is going to be Saints Row the Third. Mm-hmm. So, if Saints Row 2 was put everything in the game, Saints Row the Third is going to scale back to a few core elements and then just go nuts with those <laughs> elements. Right. Which is honestly a very good idea. I agree, yeah. I As much as I love 2, 3 is like the better game without question. Yeah, it is, Um, like, I would rather go back to Saints Row 2 nowadays rather than 3, but that's mm-hmm. just for more various weird reasons. Yeah. Like, but, like, as far as just, like, a game that came out in, I believe, 2011, or, yeah, 2011, mm-hmm. like, it Sounds makes right, perfect yeah. sense what they did, and, yeah, what they have in there makes perfect sense. And, it kind of and it makes further sense when you realize their core design mantra, uh, according to Volition, is going to be embrace the crazy, fun trumps all. Mm-hmm. So basically, if Saints Row Two was Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, this one is going to be Fast Five. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to quite go to space yet. Mm-hmm. Ludacris is not going to tell Vin Diesel they got a tank, <laughs> but they're getting there. Yep. So a big reason why they went with this decision was twofold. The first is that the team of Volition is going to have a ton of turnover. Uh, Some people of Volition are going to estimate that only about 20 people on the original 100-person team uh, for that game is going to ever have worked on a Saints game before. Mm. 
The second is that the leadership at Volition just saw how scattershot everything was about Saints Row 2. Right. And that honestly included the tone of the game. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, Saints Row 2 tries very hard to be serious at times. Uh-huh. And it's like, buddy, I'm wearing a hot dog suit right now. Right. So, on top of scaling back the sheer amount you could do and just polishing the best ideas, they decided to scale the story and feel the game to just one that emphasized a more holy shit, that's cool sort of feel. Mm-hmm. More irreverent and one that ultimately is going to feel far more cohesive. Now, to that matter, when they first started like out with the design doc of that game, they laid out all their ideas and cut them down until they reached what was essentially going to amount to a game that would take about 4,000 man hours of work to complete. Hmm. And honestly, it shows. Like, mm-hmm. once again, the ideas they have in there like are incredibly polished with what they do. Now, as part of this, they're going to move away from Stillwater, which was the location of Saints Row 1 and 2, to an entirely new city called Steelport. It's kind of sort of based off of Pittsburgh. Mm. And also a city that's absolutely terrible. It is one of the worst <laughs> open world cities I've ever seen. Um, get used to hearing the name Steelport. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they ain't going to move away from that no. one for a while. They spent a lot of time making that map, and they're going to use it repeatedly. They absolutely are in a way that is going to be just more and more depressing every time. Yeah. So... This game felt like a complete product in terms of its incredibly irrelevant tone and writing style, and while not everything about its writing lands, in fact, I would argue a lot of it doesn't nowadays, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when it lands, it really lands. There's some, like, legitimately very funny moments in that game, and just yes. some very funny goofs. Like, mm-hmm. one of the, like, you can select between six player voices, and one of them is just zombie, mm. and a zombie is voiced by Nolan North and was advertised <laughs> as such. Which is funny as hell. Yes. Like, you know, so there's like stuff like that. Now, unlike previous entries in the series, upon release in 2011, this game got the critical reception the previous games never really received. Like, there was more than one reviewer who thought it was worthy of receiving Game of the Year over the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. A game that was also released that year. (laughs) Okay, that's an insane stance, but it is a good game. I understand. It It is. There was, um... A giant bomb had like a really big like game of the year podcast where like it was literally just a couple people on one side for Saints Row, a couple of people on the other side for uh, Skyrim, and they're just getting consistently more and more <laughs> angry with each other. And it's great. That's amazing. Now, now I think we all have come to the conclusion that Saints Row the Third was not game of the year. It's actually Mass Effect Two or possibly Pushmo, but still, it was a great mm. game. I always forget that Mass Effect 2 came out like January 2011, so it counts. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah, That. that's probably, that might be better than Skyrim. I don't know. I think it's a better 20-hour experience than Skyrim. Yes, that's fair. I think if you include the breadth of Skyrim, it, it is a better game, but yeah. if I want to spend 20 hours, it's going to be a Mass Effect 2 game. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. So, buoyed by this, Saints Row Third did se- sell really well. It mm-hmm. sold roughly about 6 million copies, and, of course, a sequel went into development. A Saints Row 4, if you will. Mm. On April Fool's Day, 2012, they also announced a DLC expansion to Saints Row the Third called Enter the Dominatrix. A tongue-in-cheek expansion where the Third Street Saints, which I never even explained those, that's the gank that you're a part right. of. Uh, the Third Street Saints would find themselves trapped in a simulated version of Steelport by an alien named Zinyak. It was basically an excuse to give you superpowers. Right. And it's a pretty nice idea for, I don't know, a $15 to $20 expansion to Saints Row 3. 
Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to make a whole game on that ridiculous concept. You'd probably wear out that con that whole thing pretty quick. But yeah, for that DLC, it's nice. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Now, this is all well and good, Alex, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a problem. And that problem is called THQ. Mm. Mm. So, it's funny how they're always the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and it ain't going to stop somehow. Now, remember when I said THQ decided to focus their core business on good video games? Uh-huh. Well, that had been a bit of a mixed bag for THQ. Mm-hmm. Because for every successful game they had, such as Saints Row, they had other less successful games, such as Homefront. Oh, Homefront. <laughs> oh, Homefront. We're going to talk about Homefront one day. Why did they put so much into Homefront? I don't know. It's such a stupid game. It's it's so unimportant, but... it's it, it, They invested so much money in hype. They yeah. were like, Homefront is the future. Mm-hmm. We're going to put out fake radio broadcasts that tricks people into thinking we're at war with North Korea. Because <laughs> they timed it around the sinking of a submarine. Like, yeah, it's it's insane the lengths they're going to go to. Yeah, and then, like, any time you heard that hype and were like, wow, Homefront, this sounds pretty important. What's it? Why does this game look mid as hell? Mm-hmm. Because yep. it is. Because it is. I will give the Homefront series credit for one thing. Mm-hmm. They did give us the ability to legally play an HD version of Time Splitters 2. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's something. That is something. It's buggy as hell, but that is something. Now, so, point is, mixed bag, but they did mm-hmm. have one surprising success for them back in 2010. Mm. A drawing tablet released for the Nintendo Wii called the U-Draw Game Tablet. Mm-hmm. Oh, Alex, first off, the U-Draw is cool. I'm going to defend mm-hmm. the U-Draw. Okay, sure. See, it's a basic Wacom-style tablet. For those mm-hmm. who don't know, it's a, ba- a Wacom-style tablet is like, you have basically like a sheet of plastic in front of you, and you can draw on it, and it registers inputs that you can see on screen. And you draw basically looking at the screen and using the tablet, and it works far better than you think it should. Right. Like, it's a very neat little device, and Wacom tablets back then were like, a good one was like a good 200 bucks. And this mm-hmm. thing was like, I think like 50 to 100? I think the initial was like 50, and then later it became like 100. Right. Um, so it was a neat little device, and a software made for it, such as an art suite, and a digital coloring books and whatnot featuring licensed work from Disney and the like were successful and a, honestly a neat idea for getting kids into art. Right. Which yeah. for the Wii makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, it also had like accelerometer support in there so you could like do different things like smudge like things on screen and whatnot by mm-hmm. like moving the tablet around uh, using the Wiimote by plugging it in. It actually draw, drew power from the Wiimote too. Mm, mm-hmm. So like it was just a really, really cool idea and it was a nice modest success for them. Mm-hmm. Who decided, great, what if we made a million of these things and released them on the 360 and PlayStation 3 in 2011? Uh, I, I feel like the 360 and the PS3 don't have quite the same market that the Wii has for that. Oh, really? You, you don't think that they're this thing primarily uh, put towards children isn't going to work on a system yeah, whose core audience is more like teenagers to young adults? I, I don't I don't feel like that's necessarily where the, the market is. Mm. No. Um, yeah. I feel like the Wii also kind of like positioned itself as more of a cross-dimensional entertainment device mm-hmm. with like more openness for that kind of creative stuff, whereas the 360 is more of like a I want to play Call of Duty machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It um it, it needless to say it didn't make a whole lot of sense. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, what resulted is maybe one of the biggest failures I've ever seen from a video game company. Uh huh. As 1.4 million of these things went unsold. And wow. THQ lost over $100 million. Now, it should, it should be noted that these tablets made for the 360 and PlayStation 3 were more expensive to make because they actually mm -hmm. had to put all the stuff that was offloaded to the Wiimote into those things. Yeah, yeah, that too. So uh, it, they basically shot themselves in the foot in every possible way they could with this. Mm -hmm. And combined with their other not Saints Row games not doing so hot, forced THQ to find anything, and I mean anything, to help them make money and maybe keep their company afloat. You know what else is really funny about that is that the PS3 controller also has accelerometers. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but, oops, guess we can't. Guess we can't. Yeah, guess we can't. Nope. Oh, well, yeah, okay, just lose all the money. What, what do we got? Yeah, my only guess with that is, like, there probably isn't a way to draw power off of it, but still. Probably, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it's still... T uh, THQ. So... Yeah. Okay. So, THQ. Uh, how's that home front looking? Hmm. Darksiders. What you got? It's it's very good, but nobody bought it. Uh, and uh, well, we have. Uh, okay. 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 Hold on. Hold on. Though. Mm -hmm. uh, there's this big expansion coming out of Saints Row Three. What if we cancel Saints Row Four and make that expansion Saints Row Four instead? That sounds like the worst idea. That sounds like what you do to kill a franchise. Oh uh, yeah, it's definitely the start of it. And as I say that as somebody who likes Saints Row 4. Uh-huh. Now, it's going to be a Hail Mary. The mm -hmm. idea was going to be to release Saints Row 4 in 2013, make enough money to pay off their debts, and keep the company afloat long enough for the rest of their games in development to come out and put them back on solid financial footing. Given all these problems were happening a full year before the projected release date of Saints Row 4, should show you how tenuous and unrealistic this idea was. Right. It gets even more unrealistic when immediately after announcing this incredibly good idea, they immediately defaulted on a $50 million loan to Wells Fargo in November of 2012. Oh. Yes, causing their stock price to crater to $3 a share. And by crater to $3 a share, I mean it then immediately became public. THQ had an additional $250 million of debt. So I mean their stock crater to $1.16 per are share. Why are they still a company? Well, it's funny you say that, Alex. <laughs> Because <laughs> THQ was also asking themselves that question because they had no money. <laughs> like, at that much debt, you just should stop. You just should stop. That is, you flee the country level of debt at that yeah. point. You start, you're starting a new life in the Falklands as a sheep farmer. Mm -hmm. Like, that is what you're doing now. But, uh, no, they're going to stick it out. On November 29th, 2012, in what was maybe the saddest attempt to save a company I've ever seen, THQ teamed up with Humble Bundle for a THQ bundle to be released. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> if you don't know anything about Humble Bundle, it's a charity storefront that releases game bundles <laughs> in partnership with companies in order to help raise money for charitable causes. So like and you get if like ever there was a charitable cause. <laughs> it's the financial situation of THQ. Stealing my jokes for later, but yes. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's a good joke. You have to make it. But yeah. Yeah, usually it would be like, we're gonna get a bunch of Capcom games. We're gonna sell them for anywhere as low as a dollar to as high as you like, because it's charity, right? Mm -hmm. 
and you can get like so you can pay like a buck and get like 20 games or 20 dollars or what have you and you can do things like raise money for like child's play or the american red cross or whatnot mm-hmm. the thq bundle is going to go to the charity known as thq so they can help support <laughs> the poor people of thq to keep a co- hopefully keep a company afloat called thq <laughs> and to be clear this is thq's games in the bundle right yes it's like all their games so this is literally like, hey, do you want us? Do you want to pay us more money for our products than normal? <laughs> yeah, because we desperately need you to pay more money than normal. <laughs> God. <laughs> so the roughly the most that was paid for a bundle was eleven thousand dollars. Jesus. That was by Jason Rubin, the I believe CEO of THQ. Okay, fair. Uh. I'm going to say that the rest probably didn't have a whole lot of sales because while good news, they're going to sell 800k worth of bundles. Mhm. They're only going to make 5 million dollars. That is uh less than they owe. Yeah. Um I believe it's literally the next day or I may No, it's not the next day. The 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 thing is going to go the bundle is like over a 2 week period and it ends in like December. Mm-hmm. But literally like the day after the bundle ends, THQ files for bankruptcy. <laughs> they go yeah, no, I, we're done, man. <laughs> well, that didn't work. Yeah, it turns out that was an abysmal failure. <laughs> so, it's very funny, because, like, THQ, I think at that point, was technically the largest North American video game publisher. Hmm. Which, to let you all know, being the largest North American video game publisher is a curse. Yeah, You're usually going to go out of business shortly after, because you're leveraged all hell. Mm-hmm. See, Midway. Or I guess technically, I guess they weren't over leveraged, but they did get bought activated mm-hmm. as well. So. I, I would go as far as to say this. If you are bigger than EA or 2K, you're too big. Yeah. You're probably too big. You've probably outgrown yourself. You should probably just be making a console at that point. Yeah. And it, I mean, it'll be a failure, but you, you should do it. EA make a console. I want to see how bad it will be. Oh boy, that. <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm going to resist the urge to just go down that rabbit hole of like what what do you think that would look like? Would they just sell you pieces of it for fifty dollars each? Oh yeah, it would be a microtransaction hell. <laughs> like you would have to you would unlock more RAM that's already mm-hmm. on there. By giving them money and you could rent it. I guarantee you. God. I think it would be a loot box to hell. But hey, don't worry. If you buy one, you're going to get some FIFA Ultimate Team cards. So it'll be fine. I'm now thinking about what would a PC part loot box look like. It's very funny in my mind. I think those technically already exist. Oh, that's awful and amazing. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think New Egg occasionally does that where they have overstock and it's just like, we just put a bunch of things in a box, you can buy it. <laughs> I gotta I gotta get in on that. That's hmm. Yeah, it's it's I don't know if they still do it, but if, if I remember correctly, they did that at one point. Uh, I gotta I gotta I gotta look into that. Anyway. So back to the volition. This is very bad for them. Yes. Well with the fact they're owned by THQ, because now THQ is gonna be stripped for parts in order to pay its debts. Now the vast majority of these properties is going to go to a company named Nordic Games, except for Volition, who's going to be acquired by Deep Silver. Oh, they're good, right? They're going to be more solvent than THQ, so it's a better <laughs> situation. They're so, going to have their name attached to a lot of really not problematic games pretty soon. 
I think it's going to be like literally right after this is Dead Island. So yeah, yeah. We 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 released some swag. If you get the pre-order version, it's a it's a mutilated torso of a woman. Oh, why are you I- angry at us? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Anime fans on prom night, am I right? Oh god, they were those. People. They were those guys. They did Mighty Number no. Nine too. Oh man. <laughs> god, Deep Silver. Oh, they're the worst. They are the absolute worst. <laughs> They're a company that no longer exists now, and I'm happy about it. Yeah. So, yeah, Deep Silver is technically a subsidiary of another media company called Co- um, Coke Media. Coke Media. Coke, yes. There we go. Yes. So, yeah, they're a subsidiary of another company called Coke Media. Uh, for Americans, not that Coke, a German Coke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to be basically handling a distribution for Volitia from now on. Now, this is not going to change anything about Saints Row the 4. It's still going to be released. It's still going to be basically the answer to Dominatrix idea that they are doing. So you have superpowers and whatnot, which is legitimately cool. It is a mm-hmm. fun game. Yes. And, and also- with the death of other THQ game prototype. Was mm-hmm. that a THQ game? Yes, I believe so. I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with prototype and infamous not particularly making games at the moment, mm-hmm. it kind of fills that niche. It kind of did, actually. It was the best superhero game, oddly enough. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, that's going to release. It's going to review decently well, not quite mm. as well as Saints Row the Third. And it's not going to be as big as Saints Row the Third in terms of sales. Right. Uh, this is going to be an ongoing thing. Uh, they're not going to be releasing sales figures for these games anymore. Mm. Uh, because, uh, as you could probably guess, they're going to be going down. Yeah. Uh, we do know that they sold about a million copies in the first week of release, and then they just stopped talking about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. But it was successful to d- justify two uh, separate DLCs. One that was, funnily enough, called Enter the Dominatrix. <laughs> <laughs> and Gat out, of the, Gat out of Hell, a piece of DLC that may be one of the most reviled DLCs I've ever seen. Hmm. Well, with it taking place once again in Steelport, and just replacing <laughs> your superpowers with demon powers... It's like, what if Steelport was in hell? And it's like, what if we just didn't? Yeah. It didn't help it came out in like 2015, like a full two right. years after Saints Row, Saints Row 4, when it's like, I was, I'm very done with this. Right, yeah, no one, no one cares at this point. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Saints Row at this point felt incredibly dead. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it seemed like Volition agreed, as their next game, Ages of Mayhem, which was released in 2017, was not going to be a Saints Row game. And by not a Saints Row game, I meant they were incredibly coy about it being a Saints Row game <laughs> up to release. And then when it was released, you saw that the game used the purple Fleur de Lis logo of the Third mm-hmm. Street Saints, and you could recruit one of the one of the gang members, Johnny Gat, as a as a member of your squad in the game. Uh, and also, it took place right after Gat out of Hell. So it turns out uh, it actually was. It actually was. And uh, hey, wouldn't you know it? That was a bad idea. Yeah, it turns out. Um, I wouldn't say nobody liked this game. It reviewed decently well, mm-hmm. but it was very different. Like, mm. it wasn't an open-world crime simulator, but rather like a weird team-based third-person shooter, sort of. Mm-hmm. And, well, well, critically, it did okay. Nobody I've ever really met has said, man, Ages of Mayhem was a good game. And while, once again, it's hard to pin down exact sales, uh, Volition did have to lay off 30 members of their team shortly after this game came out, so that Probably should tell you something. Not not a good sign, really. Not a good sign. So Volition at this point is in a really odd state. 
Their flagship series is faltering, and their attempt to do something different likely resulted in the worst sales they possibly have ever seen as a company. Because got to remember, everything before this is like descent in free space. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe Red Faction 2 sold worse. I don't know. Right. Now, bad news, it's going to get worse. Because their parent company, Deep Silver, is going to be acquired by a company called, uh, says here, THQ Nordic? Hmm. That's huh. weird. I thought THQ went out of business and was their assets were sold off to a company called Nord. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, this isn't good. So, yeah, THQ's back. Sort of. Sort of. None of the people originally involved at THQ are there, but it's they are using the logo. Yeah, they got all their games. Yeah, they did. Uh, and they're going to be the harbinger of Volition's End, much like the mm-hmm. original THQ almost was. Like the slasher killer, they're going to come back and finish the job. Yep. So, this part of the story deserves its own episode, and maybe I'm going to one day do an episode about the Embracer group. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give you the TLDR, because I know we're already an hour into this. <laughs> so, the TLDR of who THQ Nordic is, is that when THQ died a really dumb and embarrassing death back in 2013, another company called Nordic came in and bought all their IP and trademarks, with the exception of Volition and Saints Row, which went to Deep Silver. Mm-hmm. How Nordic themselves came about is a little shady, but they formed in 2011 and almost immediately started buying video game companies and other developers like Dreamcatcher and the on-the-nose named The Adventure Company, which you will not get anything for guessing what type of games they made. <laughs> now, they did all that before acquiring THQs, near everything, in 2013 for the hot price of $4.9 million. It's amazing how in 10 years, companies are going to be going for multi-billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Now, over the next three years, they continued to buy nearly every small developer they could find, when in 2016, they came up with a silly idea. What if we renamed ourselves to THQ Nordic? Now, the reason why they did was, according to them, to capitalize on the good reputation of THQ's past, to which I say, what good reputation? Yeah, what? At what point? (laughs) Yeah, because it wasn't the part where Saints Row was cool because you don't own that. So was it, I don't know, the Great Waldo Search for the Super Nintendo? (laughs) Star Wars, the new droid army for the Game Boy Advance? Which, by the way, I thought I knew every shovelware title for the Game Boy Advance. That mm. one was new. Yeah, that that sounds like the shovelist of shovelware. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> it's very confusing, my point. That's going to get even more surprising when they acquired Deep Silver and Coke Media in 2018. Because then their licensing arm, which owns THQ Nordic directly, and is somehow even shadier than Nordic proper... <laughs> is going to rename themselves the absolutely not ominous Embracer Group. Oh boy, what a name. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know where they got that one. I probably should have looked it up, but given... It really doesn't matter given where they're going. And honestly, mm-hmm. they're probably called that because they're going to embrace the entire video game industry. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean they're going to buy the entire video game mm-hmm. industry. Because now that they have the Saints Row IP in their hands... They're going to now get down to the nitty gritty of making games. And by making games, I mean continue to buy literally every company on the planet. <laughs> Saber Interactive, Tarsier Studios, Snapshot Games, fucking Gearbox Software for $1.3 billion, among others. I literally could sit here and detail the billions of dollars that I am not sure how they had to spend on various video game companies, each more absurd than the last. But we'll cut it off at those four. 
Okay, but the important thing is once they bought those companies, they put them to work making good games to make profit, right? Um, no. <laughs> Actually. Oh, that, uh, that doesn't sound like, like sound business if you're not doing that. <laughs> it sounds like the opposite of business, actually. That sounds like blind investment in nothing. You know, when I learned that they had bought Aspire for, I think it was like literally like $600 million or something like that. <laughs> Why? Yeah, that was my response too. It was like, they're not worth that amount. It made sense why all of a sudden they were trying to like develop the reboot for Knights of the Old Republic, uh -huh. a project that seemed way out of their out of their league. Yeah. And it's like, like, oh, I get it now, actually. Yeah. Oh, it's like, oh boy, man, I guess they really needed some Mac ports of something. Mm-hmm. And the answer was no, actually. No. Uh actually we can't even get the port of Knights of the Old Republic 2 to work. So <laughs> Was gonna release it on a half complete state on a yeah. on a Nintendo Switch. We'll let you yep. all figure it out. Oh boy, yeah. So this is like an absolutely insane expansion of a company that I think most people have no idea who they are or what they do mm -hmm. to the point that I honestly just just do an episode on them because I want to know what their deal is. But it's these conditions that Felicia is going to be operating under when they get to work on what's going to be their final product as a company, a reboot of Saints Row called well Saints Row. So right away, the rebooted Saints Row is going to be met with controversy from fans when it's announced back in 2011. Mm. 2011, 2021. Uh, and that's mostly due to the direction they're going to take. Uh, first off, the over-the-top wackiness that has dominated the series since the second game has now been scaled back. While not overly serious, it's clear that the developers wanted to make something that's a game where you hijack cars, commit crimes, and do crime missions and whatnot. Kind of get back to like that, like GTA 4 almost like level. Mm -hmm. Now, this was incredibly deliberate. Uh, Jeremy Bernstein, the principal writer on what we're going to just call Saints Row 2022 from now on, mm -hmm. uh, noted that Saints Row 4 was kind of like the Moonraker of the series, comparing mm -hmm. it to the infamous James Bond film where James Bond goes to space for some reason. Right. Uh, he felt that it went a little too far out there and that this new game needed a more balanced mix of comedy and seriousness. Now, when this game was announced at Gamescom 2021 and a trailer was shown off, this new tone was not particularly pleasing to fans. Gone was the over-the-top, overly sexualized and edgy madness, and was replaced with something I would describe as, what if Bruno Mars was a gangster? <laughs> now, I don't think the trailer was bad, but it's just, it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, have you ever seen a trailer? Do you like, I, have like any particular opinions I, on it? I don't think I did. I like, I... By the time, because I never played Saints Row 4, mm -hmm. and by the, I never played Agents of Mayhem. So by the time this was announced, I just sort of checked out of the whole series. Mm -hmm. And like, I heard it was happening, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then that's fair, honestly. Yeah. But I, like, but I don't know. It just, it sounds like it's, it's missing fun. And we're kind of in this era where, like, we want video games to either be fun or impactful or something. Yeah. Yeah, there's not really a place for that kind of, like, I would call, like, a low AAA title, whatnot, right. try to do what was acceptable back in, like, 2011. Yeah, it, it doesn't quite work 10 years later. Yeah. And, yeah, that's essentially going to be what's how the fans are going to react to it once the game is released, but... Mm -hmm. Getting back to this development, Volition's not going to back down from like this. Like fans are like, "Hey, you probably mm. should like change this." And they're like, "No." The tone of the previous games just wouldn't make sense in a new era of video games. 
And what this meant is that things like the dildo bat, a weapon that featured heavily in the marketing of Saints Row the Third, mm-hmm. was no longer seen, or activities like spraying poop on people would no longer be included. Even the setting itself was quite different. Previous games were set in a Midwestern city of some sort, but now this new game took place in the American Southwest in a town called Santo Ilesco, taking inspiration from real-life cities such as Vegas and Phoenix. It was something that I liked as somebody who you know, grew up in towns like that, Mm-hmm. but no one else seemed to particularly <laughs> like it, which made me sad. <laughs> so how did people take all these changes when the game came out? Well, first it was unclear because the game was a buggy, broken mess at launch. Mm. Uh, those, wow. who, those who could finally play the game once it got fixed found it was rather dated take on the genre that honestly had been kind of dead for a while. Mm-hmm. Like when you really think of like open world crime simulators, it's like, well, Grand Theft Auto V came out in, like, God, was it 2013 or something like something that? Something like that, yeah, about a decade ago. And there really hadn't been much since that was no. notable. So, yeah, it just felt really weird, like a real right. weird throwback. Which is sort of weird that, like, Saints Row 1 launched into a similar position of, like, well, there's Grand Theft Auto and, like, everything else sucks. So <laughs> this is pretty good. Versus now it's like, well, it's no Grand Theft Auto, and honestly, who cares? Yeah, right? Like, we've just kind of moved on? Yeah. Like, we've just sort of had our fill of the genre as a whole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... And I, part of it is because just, like, open-world games just went in crazy directions and whatnot, mm-hmm. whether it's, like, the Ubisoft direction of, like, we're just going to make them as big as possible and cram as much as we can there, right. or, like the scaling back of, like, Nintendo's Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. and just different, like, ease, more easygoing take on it. So, like, everyone was just doing something different with it, but, like, crime-based ones where you hijack cars and you drive around a city, like, it felt like the it felt like the beat-em-up genre. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, those were hot for 10 years. And now arcades are dead and we're moving on. Yep. So, yeah, it... Needless to say, this game is gonna be critically received with a kind of a meh, and the sales are also going to be kind of a meh. And by that, I mean, it's going to sell well. We know it's going to sell over a million copies and whatnot, but it's not Mm going to sell by gangbusters. Right. It is apparently going to meet the financial expectations set forth by Embracer, but the Embracer themselves are going to find that it polarized fans, and so they ultimately found it to be a bit disappointing. Mm -hmm. After the game's launch, Embracer actually had Volition moved from its Deep Silver operating group to its Gearbox operating group. There's like nine operating groups in Embracer sure. at this point because of all the companies bought. Because it's uh-huh. they're a nuts company with a structure <laughs> that makes zero sense. But they're going to do that. And they're like, hey, go over here, work on new projects. And this is where the story takes a really weird turn. Mm-hmm. It gets weird for two reasons. One, Saints Row is actually going to have a very long sales tale to it. Mm. A consistent DLC updates and performance improvements are going to vastly improve the experience for players, and subsequently more and more copies are going to be sold. Uh, this game is going to be an Epic Store, uh, Epic Store exclusive for one year. Uh-huh. And like once it gets released on Steam in August of 2023, my understanding is it actually gets like a good second life. I mean, that tends to happen with Epic Store exclusives, is yeah. the Epic Store period is like the beta. Mm-hmm. And then once it's released everywhere else, people actually buy the game and right. everything's good. Yeah. Yes. Tim Sweeney being like, uh, we lost more money this year. For some reason, <laughs> people don't want to buy stuff on the Epic Store. It's like, make a good storefront, please. But but what, what about NFTs instead? 
there's a really good YouTuber who's just going through playing all the bad NFT games that are on there. And it's amazing how they're all just asset flips. And just, we got the, like, the basic game you have on Unreal Engine and just reskinned it. Only now you get to play these extreme bunnies that you can buy NFTs for that sometimes aren't even actual NFTs. <laughs> you just give us a thousand bucks. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing. Just approved. Oh, man. Their metaverse is going to go crazy. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> can't wait for it. So, yeah, Long Sales Tale. People are like really liking this. They're actually buying more. It's being well supported. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's getting like a really decent second life to it. That's pretty oh, cool. Yeah. And they're like going to be releasing a third expansion in August of 2023 mm-hmm. with more quality of life improvements. And then Embracer just suddenly ran out of money. <laughs> It was like overnight. They went from like, yeah, we'll buy that, we'll buy that, we'll buy that. What do you mean we're broke? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, just all of a sudden the money spigot turned off and they're like, <laughs> but I thought the money spigot was going to continue. <laughs> well, did you make any games? We made like two. Does that count? And the answer was not really. No, no, turns out. So remember how I said Embracer was just like buying up companies with money it seemingly shouldn't have had? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because it didn't. They, yeah. they, they didn't have money. Hmm. You see, Embracer did this fun thing that companies can do, where you buy a bunch of companies that are smaller than you with funny money, mm-hmm. and then make them that makes themselves seem more valuable as an overall company, which allows them to leverage more debt and get more VC investment into their seemingly valuable company, so they can acquire more companies and rinse and repeat. Interesting. Now, when you say they can do that. Mm-hmm. Can they do that legally? Oh, they can absolutely do so legally. Okay, because that doesn't seem like a thing that you should do legally. That yeah, no, seems like what, what you might call a scam. It should be a crime, but it isn't somehow. Hmm. Because technically, people can point to your financials as long as they're above board and whatnot mm-hmm. and are reportable. They can look at it and be like, okay, well... You do technically have like all this debt, but I mean, your company is valuable. They're going to eventually, all these companies you bought are going to put out games. They're going to make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your company is, everyone knows that the value of software companies is a real metric. It really is. And if you own 700 companies, each of those companies put out one game a year, that Mm -hmm. means you're going to have 700 games. And if each of those games sells a million copies, you're going to be worth more than Canada. So, you know, this is for some reason legal, even though it shouldn't be. There is, however, a catch. Mm. And that catch is that at a certain point, you could only buy so many companies before either one of two things happen. Mm -hmm. Either one, VC companies stop giving you money and banks stop lending you money. Mm -hmm. Or two, you start getting to like the really big companies and they don't want to be bought by you because they see the amount of debt you have and go, this would not be a good fit for us. Mm -hmm. Which, um, and then after that, the VC companies don't give you money and banks don't lend you more money. We don't know which one of these happened first. <laughs> but we do know. Well, actually, I think we do actually know. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be the, the first part. The VC companies are going to stop giving them money. Darn, because, I was really hoping they tried to acquire Nintendo. That would be funny as hell. Uh, but no. I no. want Nintendo to be the rock that these companies keep bashing themselves <laughs> against. <laughs> That their ships break apart on and all their <laughs> sailors drown. Yeah, th- unfortunately, it was not. No, no. sadly, it was far shadier. So it was, Okay. It was just people were like, oh, wait, 
maybe this company actually isn't worth $700 billion. That is probably the case, but it it's going to be weird. So okay. Embracer is going to find out this lesson the hard way in May of 2023, when it was reported that Embracer was in financial trouble after a mysterious $2 billion investment with a mysterious company suddenly evaporated. Hmm. Embracer refused to say who that company was at first. Uh, and once you realize who it is, you'll understand why. Mm-hmm. Now, how this came about, though, is kind of funny, because they essentially made this deal essentially as a handshake thing, uh-huh. immediately started having their subsidiary staff up, including Volition, and start new projects, including Volition. Mm-hmm. And then this backer, a company called Savvy Games, which I'm sure you've heard of them before. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, Savvy Games. Famous publisher Savvy mm-hmm. Games. Yeah, Savvy Games. Everyone everyone loves Savvy Games. Good they're, old Savvy Games, they all say. They're, they're very savvy with the deals. Yep, sure are. Which, to be fair, they were savvy with this one. Because, you see... <sighs> Who are these people? Oh, you're going to find out, and it's going to be depressing. So, they look at this and go, like... Like, literally, it's like the 11th hour. They're mm-hmm. about to sign everything, and then Savvy Games is just like... No, we're good. And we, they just left. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So basically, Embracer spent a bunch of money they don't have. Whoops. Mm-hmm. So who is Savvy Games, you asked? Yes. Well, from their Squarespace template webpage, and it literally is just a Squarespace template webpage. Like, I uh-huh. tried to make a website once, and it was I think it's like option two. Right, uh, yes. We find out that they're here to lead global games investment and growth by empowering people, and they also believe that games and esports are fast becoming key enablers for better entertainment, health, and education. If that doesn't tell you anything, then I think that's the point. Because this company just exists to funnel money from the Saudi government into video games and other entertainment Uh, ventures. There it is. Yep, in a fashion that is intentionally meant to be unclear. Ah, you got reverse S&K'd. Yep, yep. Yeah, you see, Saudi Arabia has been <laughs> pumping upwards to $37 billion into this company via their public investment fund, and they've been using that to invest in companies such as, uh, coincidentally, Nintendo. Mm. Uh, heavily investing, actually. Mm. And uh, Savvy was their way to do so on the down low, which is also why Embracer didn't want to just blow up their spot immediately. Probably because right. they wanted them to, they still wanted that money desperately. Oh, oh yeah. So... Savvy actually, in fact, had previously invested in Bracer when they bought $1 billion of stock back in 2022. Okay. Yeah. So the deal itself they had from Bracer just feels very weird. It seems like details of it that came out uh, via an article in Axios uh-huh. by Stephen Totillo basically describes that they were going to take over publishing duty for some of Embracer's games. Something that Embracer theoretically was already doing, given they acquired a ton of companies to facilitate that facilitate that in the first place, like right. Deep Silver, for instance. Uh-huh. Right. So it was like a really weird deal that honestly seems like they were desperate for money. And they were like, yeah, no, man, we'll just offload a bunch of stuff to y'all, what, whatever, man. And then unsurprisingly, once it fell through, they were like, shit, shit, mm-hmm. we have to cut costs now. So what this means for Volition is that despite Saints Row being profitable and Embracer committing money and resources to new Volition projects, they no longer had the money to operate the, I don't know, seemingly thousands of companies that they have acquired, Mm -hmm. and they needed to slash cost. And so they chose to shut down a ton of their subsidiaries, and that included Volition on August 31st, 2023. 
Which, again, feels like a weird decision, because it seems like one of the only companies that is making games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? It, and, like, was actually doing so with some level of success to the point you're like, well, let's give them more resources? It's, like, I don't know, like, the business reasons, like, behind mm-hmm. why they would explicitly do that. Maybe it's, like, well, we can hand off this IP to somebody who could make it for cheaper or... Like, there's tax reasons for it, or we're just making so much off of, like, residual sales of, like, IPs from other companies, it's just better to just shut down this active development studio. Right. It's all incredibly unclear, and honestly, I would not be surprised if more is going to unfold as uh, Embracer continues to slowly crumble and die. Mm. Or it quickly. is also... Oh, yeah. It's also entirely possible it was just a stupid decision. Oh, Because yeah. it's... Uh, they seem to be good at making those. Yeah, yeah, like, um, they also slashed, like, Crystal Dynamics, like, like, terribly, like, while they were ma- right. making another yeah, yeah. Tomb Raider game, so. Yeah, oh, no one's gonna buy Tomb Raider. No, no, like, the one consistently successful thing from the Ido side of Square Enix? No, of course not. It's not like Crystal Dynamics has a proven track record of pulling through under terrible conditions and making <laughs> profitable games or anything. No, not a 20-year track record of that. Yeah, so... Needless to say, it's now shut down. The Saints Row IP was handed to another subsidiary, Planion, P-L-A-I-O-N, which is just uh, uh, Kosh Media, uh, Mm -hmm. having been renamed that in 2022. And this is where our story ends. Saints Row may not be a dead IP, but at this point, it's hard to see as anything but, given they're now in the hands of a publishing company that's owned by a possibly quickly crumbling megacorp that itself was looking to offload game publishing to the Saudis. So who knows what the future of Saints Row will bring. And that's why this episode makes me sad. Because I like Saints Row. I do too. It yeah, it makes me think about it wasn't that long ago when the they announced, oh, video games are now bigger than movies and music combined or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the point where we should have said we need like really strong economic regulations in the video game sector. Mm-hmm. Because like, if we don't have that, we're just going to have a lot of idiots throwing around unfathomable amounts of money with no yeah. idea what they're doing. Yeah, some sort of like consumer protections or like rules in place for companies so they don't completely over leverage themselves. Or yeah, but unfortunately, that's not the tech industry, Alex. No, no, it's not. So yeah, Microsoft, you can buy Activision. That's not a problem. Yeah, it'll be completely fine. That won't implode and bring down half the freaking industry on top of you. Nope. It definitely will not. Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah, once again, Embracer buying just like a million different companies and just Mm -hmm. not knowing what to do when they actually have to make the games part of making games. Or yeah, like it's it's crazy how this continuously repeats. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, heck, you're seeing it with Epic right now. Yeah. Right. Oh, God. Epic is hemorrhaging so much money. And like. Like, I don't know how much more money Tencent's going to pump into them, but like... I don't know, but their solution is, hey, you know that thing that just about has killed Facebook? What mm-hmm. if we did that? Yeah, that'd be cool. Let's get in on that. It's like, oh, you, buddy, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Hey, Amazon, how's it going on your end? Yeah, they are. Right. They are doing video games, supposedly. Are, in theory, uh, I think they've released like two... Yeah, they they released the, an online shooter that was well received, to be honest. But uh, was was that the one that was unreleased? No, I think that was the MMO. Oh, 
the MMO was unreleased and then re-released. I think the shooter was just unreleased. Unless I'm thinking of a different shooter. You know, it's possible. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be... Okay, so there's Lost Ark. Okay. Lost that... Ark and New World. Yes, okay, both of those are kind of MMOs. Lost Ark is like a Diablo-like MMO yeah. that is uh, Korean, I want to say. Hmm. And that thing's just going to keep going no matter what, because it's popular in Korea, where those mm-hmm. games are popular. Uh, I, I, it, it continues to run in the US, I guess, and New World has had problems. Yes, it has, yeah. I, I definitely know that one is like... Had an incredible, oh yeah, yeah. It had like incredible queue times and yeah. yeah. Oh boy, anyone yeah. who had an account to play the game via Steam got family sharing received for free. Oh man, yeah, and then he yeah. immediately disabled it. Oh god. But don't worry, Blue Protocol definitely coming out next year. We've super promise. God, it's developed by Bandai Namco. Oh no. <laughs> well. Yeah. The point of all this being, it's hard to run video game companies. And everyone seems to think it's easy. Yeah, and it turns out it's not. It is not at all. And people act like you can just throw money at it and do it. And it's like, no. Yeah, no, it, it turns out that there's a, there's a lot more to it than you would think. But, you know, why? when has that ever stopped? To, when has that ever stopped tech companies anyone. and VC money nope. and whatnot? So, yeah, kind of a depressing episode overall, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Ah, but next week, we'll be talking about the plots of Saints Rows. Should be one, two, and three. Well, once again, we'll see how the scope creep get, yeah. kicks in. But it, that that's going to be a fun one. There's going to be a lot of real yeah. bad humor we're going to be talking about. Oh, boy, those. is there. But yeah, uh, Alex, do you have any final thoughts? Whatever happened to All Points Bulletin? That's a rhetorical question. I know what happened. It came out and was nothing. Forgot about APB. <laughs> I Everyone totally forgot, forgot about, about APB. The developers forgot about APB. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they did, didn't they? They sure did. It was like that and Huxley were like in development at the same time. And they were like, look, this is the future of MMOs. They're not just RPGs anymore. They're every genre. And then like five years later, it's like, hey, where are any of those? <laughs> They're like, great question. <laughs> oh yeah well you know yeah maybe one day that they'll they'll write that ship but probably not was apb the one that made you buy playtime uh, i mean there's a lot of games that do that like technically Eve right. does that but yeah i guess technically that's just a subscription service but this this felt more like you have to buy like 10 hours or something Let's uh let's look this up. I, oh, I feel God, like it got into a game. weird like one of those weird like playtime restriction law spaces. Mm. But yeah, I might be maybe. misremembering. Like some sort of thing where they were focusing heavily on China and so they posed like, something game like restrictions that, yeah. on everyone else. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, I'm not seeing anything okay. in my quick look on here. Okay, maybe I'm making things up. Maybe Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, maybe, but it was a bad game. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, I found it. 
Yeah. A subscription-like system was used where players purchase game time for action districts either by purchasing hours or by opting for an unlimited playtime option for 30 days. I mean, I guess that was how MMOs okay. did it back in the day. But yeah, still. okay. So it is like a subscription, but you can discount by limiting your playtime. Okay, so that's that's not like that's not as bad. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, all points bulleted. This is the most I have thought about that game, and <laughs> given it came out twenty ten, uh, thirteen years. So yep, mm-hmm. amazing. Well, Alex, thank you for doing this with me as always. Of course, and for you, the viewer, if you want to listen or watch other episodes of. Fallen Through Plot Holes, go to ftp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Plot Holes on your podcast service of choice. Leave us a like and review. Uh, and of course, uh, send us uh, send us your feedback via fallenthroughplotholes at gmail.com, which is in the description of every episode. Why don't you tell us about your favorite subsidiary of the Embracer Group? Is it Vertigo Publishing? How about Coffee Stain Studios? Ooh, Mixlore is a good one. Tell me about Mixlore. Dark Horse Comics. Oh, God. That, w- that was unexpected. Okay. Yeah, okay, sure. Just buy it all. Just buy it all, man. River End Games, which, I'm sorry, that's not a real company. <laughs> I, don't think so. I don't think that one's real. Sing Tricks. <laughs> okay. Space Cow, which is separate from another company they own called Space Cowboys. Okay, I need to stop. <laughs> Beam dog. Anyways, um. Anyways. So mine, mine's Crystal Dynamics for never getting another Legacy of Kane game. Uh, honestly, the ones that still existed probably is going to be Crystal Dynamics for me too. And you're right. We yeah. are getting a new Gex game. I don't think they're making it though, but we are getting but, that. Of course we are. Freaking <laughs> video games suck. Yeah, they really do. Oh. Uh, well, anyways, tell us about your favorite one of those, or just I don't know. Tell us about you know your favorite depressing video game thing as well. I mean, we've been talking yeah. about that for about the past hour and forty minutes. So there's a lot of them. Share the pain, buddy. <laughs> but regardless, Alex, thanks for doing this, and take care, buddy. With no hope, you put me in a trap with straps and no dough. No food, no water, tears drowning in the mist. I ask God why my people gotta live like this. I look, I shoot at your ass for survival. Police, two bitch slugs on the rival. Helicopters come, but they leave with nobody in them. Send them all to hell where gasoline did them. My dirty white.